Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. Welcome to Catholic Baltimore. I'm Christopher Gunty of the Catholic Review. Later in this show, we will speak with Father Stephen Roth, Vocations Director for the Archdiocese of Baltimore, to learn more about the 40 men in formation to become priests. But first, we introduce you to Michael Gabriel, author of In the Flesh, My Story, a novel about Jesus from the point of view of Jesus. Michael Gabriel is a graduate of Loyola University, Maryland. He received first place honors at the Hollywood Film Festival for fiction writing and has been a professional writer for more than 25 years. He currently does communications work for the East Coast province of the Jesuits. Welcome to the show, Michael. We're glad to have you with us. Great to be here. Thanks, Chris. Well, I first want to get started with talking about Where'd you get the idea to write a story about Jesus from Jesus's perspective? Sure. Well, as a reader myself and those who enjoy reading a good novel, we all know that the novels where you can get um, the closest to the main character are novels that don't necessarily jump around all the heads of the characters, but novels told in the first person. Um, By the end of a story told in the first person, readers usually have a very close, almost um, friendship relationship, like they really know the main character of that story more so than a, than a story that's told in the third person. So I just thought, you know, what about the greatest story ever told, the greatest life that ever lived? Wouldn't it be great to really try to get on a personal one-on-one with Jesus by hearing his story in the first person? to really get into his mindset, into his thoughts, feelings, and prayers as he went through his whole ministry up through his death and resurrection. And you really look at the struggles, his his internal struggles, those kinds of things that go on throughout his life that because, you know, we think, oh, well, he was Jesus, everything's fine. Right. But it's not. I mean, there were a lot of struggles in his mind as you portray him. Yes, he was 100% human and 100% divine. So this book certainly... Um, gets the reader in tune to the fact that Jesus felt all the emotions we felt, joy, uh, worry, frustration, fear, um, happiness, um, and he struggled with that, and he often had to turn to his Heavenly Father on a constant basis for strength, guidance, which is what we should do every day. Mm -hmm. But it also looks at the divine uh, mind of Jesus, and in a way, Jesus came down to teach us how to live, to teach us how to be divine. Uh, we fail every day, but his example is there. So mm-hmm. trying to get into the divine mindset of Jesus isn't so much of a stretch because he left us the, uh, the words and the example of how to do that. Mm-hmm. How did you do your research for this? Well, the Gospels are all there, and this is basically a first-person retelling of all the Gospels mm-hmm. with backstory and a lot more dialogue added in because there's not a whole lot of dialogue within the Gospels. Um, But using the Gospels as an outline, Mm -hmm. uh, it sticks very close to the Gospels. But I also did a lot of research on um, what it was like to live in first century Palestine under Roman occupation, Mm -hmm. uh, what were the um, livelihoods of fishermen back there, what was it like to make that walk from Galilee down to Judea and Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Uh, truly what was a Roman crucifixion like, um, 
and you know even you know right down to what probably might have been the plant that they pulled the thorns from to put on his head that was mm-hmm. indi- you know indigenous to that area of um, of Jerusalem at the time and, and had those kind of thorns and uh, very interesting stuff when you get into it yeah yeah one of the the favorite books and I still have it from when I was in college theology class was uh, Throckmorton's Gospel Parallels uh-huh. and it takes the three synoptic gospels you know Matthew Mark and Luke and puts them side by side right. where they tell the same story yeah and it's really interesting to see them tell that story the same incident from a different, different perspective. perspective. Right. And and so it was interesting to read your book in the flesh because it took it from another perspective. Right. It, because they were all writing from the third person. Right. Where you you wrote it on the in the first person and it, it just kind of brought that alive in a very different way. When you try to balance the differences in the gospel stories, what did you do? Did you just kind of flesh the dialogue out? Yeah, and, and once you really start comparing the gospels, as you said, you start to notice, you know, they're you know, they're very similar in their theme and oftentimes in what happened. But as far as chronology goes and certain nuances within the stories, they do tend to differ. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that de- was the audience they were writing right, for. exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, I pulled a lot from John, um, but I also pulled a lot from the Synoptic Gospels and kind of arranged it in a in an order that, that made sense. Um, and then really just use, you know, contemplation and thinking, you know, doing a lot of deep thought on what would Jesus have thought Mm -hmm. um, as these different stories were playing out. Um, You know, from a Jesuit point of view, the Jesuits often do contemplative prayer where they try to put themselves into the scene with Jesus. Mm -hmm. All I did was try and actually put myself into the scene as As Jesus. Jesus. Um, And like I said, it's, you know, some people may say, well, that takes an awful lot of creative license to try to get into the the mind of the Son of God, mm-hmm. but like I said, he was not 90% human, he was 100% human, and he left us the, you know, the guidelines of, of, of how to live perfectly. So if we really contemplate it, we can really look at him as a true brother who went through everything we go through, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a great way to get closer to Jesus and to realize that... Um, He's a great example of how to live a life that's going to have ups and downs and how to get through all that. Even relevant today. Correct. Mm-hmm. Do you have any favorite scenes or favorite incidents that you wrote about in this in terms of the way you approached it and the way it turned out? Sure. Well, definitely I think the last third of the book where you know it really gets into Holy Week and the Passion and what he, what Jesus went through not only physically but what he must have been going through spiritually and mentally through that walk to Calvary was very, uh, you know, first it brings you to your knees and puts tears in your eyes, mm-hmm. but then it really it really brings you closer to Jesus. So that really helped my faith. But I also liked writing some things that not that I had to do flashbacks a little bit because I don't start at the birth of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I did flesh out a scene where his mother Mary tells him what Simeon told her in the temple after he was born, that mm-hmm. a sword of sorrow would someday pierce her heart. And that's kind of where I get Jesus to realize that his mother is going to witness his crucifixion and what that does to him inside. Mm-hmm. And um, when we can get on that level with these characters that mean so much to us, I think it does bring us closer to them. Mm-hmm. Years ago, the parish that I was in, the, the husband and wife musical ministers, wrote a play, a musical play, called Present of the Passion, where mm-hmm. they, they told the story of the, of the crucifixion 
from all of the characters around it. So oh, the executioner and Veronica. And uh-huh. so all of these people who aren't featured a lot in the Gospels, but are are part of that story. And they looked at it from all these different perspectives. Right. And the, I still remember the executioner. He sings about, you know, that, that it was his hammer that put the nails in. Mm-hmm. And he says, after that, I couldn't do any more executions anymore. I had to use my hammer for something good. Yeah. And, um, and it's interesting to, to take a look at the anguish in those people. And you're looking at the anguish in Jesus himself. Right. Was there a really tough part of this to write? Well, like I mentioned, I think it's very tough to realize what our Lord went through for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that even when I was starting with the Garden of Gethsemane scene and really getting into his mind that he knew that safety awaited over that hill. He could have easily slipped with his disciples over the Mount of Olives and left Jerusalem, and all that wouldn't have happened. Um, but to know that he loved us so much that he stayed there and allowed that to happen, and then to really go through you know, what he went through um, for us, it, uh, it, 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 it really does tear at the heartstrings. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I certainly don't like any of the passion stories that end with the crucifixion, because right. that's not the, the real it's good news. That's not the end. Right. So it was also very uplifting to write about what it must have been like to walk out of that tomb on Easter Sunday right. morning. And there is no Easter without Good Friday. Exactly. But, right. But, there's, right. but you can't have Good Friday and not have Easter. Exactly. Good. Well, where can people get your book? The book is In the Flesh, My Story, a sure. novel. Um, by Michael Gabriel, and Gabriel is spelled G-A-B-R-I-E-L-E. Where can people get the book? Sure, it's on Amazon. If you just go to Amazon and search In the Flesh My Story, it should come right up. Uh, There is a website for the book if you want to learn a little bit deeper about it at inthefleshbook.com. But it's uh, in paperback and on Kindle, so you can download the e-reader as well and get it that way. Good way to do it. Well, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate your time, Michael. Excellent. Thanks for having me. Our guest this segment has been Michael Gabriel, author of In the Flesh, My Story. When we come back, George Matisek will talk about vocations to the priesthood with Father Stephen Roth, vocations director for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. I'm Christopher Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to The Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android and follow The Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. 
New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Welcome back to Catholic Baltimore. I'm George Matisek, Digital Editor for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. What does it take to become a priest for the Archdiocese of Baltimore? Who are the men currently in formation to become priests here? How can you learn more about the priesthood? Here to answer those questions and more is Father Stephen Roth, Vocations Director for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. Father Roth, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Baltimore. Absolutely. Happy to be here. When we talk about the call to religious life, what do we mean by that? What are some of the signs that someone might be called to the priesthood or religious life? Sure. So the call, I think, to priesthood or religious life is, is very unique. Um, but most people, I think, find that uh, they have this draw or this desire uh, to really want to make a difference, um, but not in some sort of a general sense, but they want to make a difference as a disciple of Jesus. And many people that have this calling to be a priest or to enter religious life, uh, they see that service to the church in this very unique and special way is very attractive to them. The openness to the call is certainly not something that happens overnight. It, it takes a period of time. Uh, often it's met with some resistance, but it's a seed that I think the Lord has planted in them, and they see it through the great examples of their pastors, uh, sometimes teachers, other role models in their life, and it's through those role models that I think that they continue to be open to the Lord and consider that, wow, maybe the Lord is calling me to this special vocation. And what role does prayer play in all of this? That's certainly, I would say, the foundation of it, absolutely. Really trying to make themselves as open as possible to the Lord and that intimate relationship that we have with God only through prayer to really put ourselves before the Lord to ask Him, what exactly are you calling me to do? what uh, do you want me to do with the gifts and talents that you've given? And uh, again, sometimes there is hesitation um, because we do a great job in certainly identifying all of the sacrifices that priests make uh, and religious. But the, the joys certainly outweigh that. And if the Lord is calling someone uh, to this vocation, he's calling them not to an easy life. No vocation is easy, that's for, for certain. Um, but he's calling them to a, a joy-filled life, uh, a life where they'll feel an incredible sense of accomplishment. What advice would you have for someone who's thinking about the priesthood? What steps should he take? I guess to quote Pope John Paul II, or now St. John Paul II, first off, do not be afraid mm. uh, to very much celebrate and be excited that the Lord might possibly be calling you 
and to really take some concrete steps in trying to figure out if the Lord is really calling, uh, whether it's continuing to be active in, in the parish, uh, speaking to your pastor or associate pastor, um, talking to your, to your parents or people that you very much trust in your life. But I think t taking those concrete steps will help to give that particular person some direction in, in uh, the way to follow the Lord's voice. And how does a person op apply for the Archdiocese of Baltimore? So that's um, an interesting question. So if someone wants to apply to the Archdiocese, first they contact me at the vocation office, and we'll have a series of conversations just exploring their understanding of priesthood and their willingness to serve in that capacity. Um, also just exploring their background and, and what they've done with their life thus far. And then once we come to a decision together that this would be an appropriate time to apply, there's a protocol in place that the Archdiocese has to ensure that we're finding the, the best guys for this vocation. And so it's a, it begins with writing an essay, uh, both on priesthood as well as an autobiography. They submit six to eight names of, of reference that the office contacts and asks for background information on the individual. They also sit for a two-day psychological evaluation, which is conducted by three to four different psychologists. And then all that information is presented to a screening committee, and that committee is uh, it's consisted of both lay as well as ordained priests. And then finally, uh, their um, information is then presented to the archbishop. I realize it's a lengthy process, and at times it can seem a bit overwhelming. But I hope that people in hearing uh, this process will have a greater confidence in what we do in the screening process and also for the applicant himself uh, that he will realize that the church doesn't want to just say well we have a pre-shortage and so anyone that wants to apply come right in but we want to really make sure that this is a good fit that indeed this is a person that uh, the Lord is is calling uh, to begin at least this process of discernment in a seminary setting uh, to be able to listen to the voice of God. Once a person is accepted into the, into the seminary, how long of a preparation period will it be before he's ordained? It really varies for each person. So if someone is entering right after high school, it can take uh, up to about nine years. Um, but people come in at all different levels. Some have some college experience, some have work experience, uh, some individuals have both. And we look at what they're bringing. Um, but also recognizing that the process isn't just learning the, the teachings of the church and learning how to celebrate Mass, but it's also that period of discernment uh, to make certain as they're uh, taking classes, as they're in pastoral assignments, in prayer and spiritual direction, that they're growing in a greater comfort that this is a good fit, this indeed is what the Lord is asking me to do, and that I'm willing and capable and I want to do this. Uh, so the process at times can seem a bit long, um, but it's really intended to give the person enough time to, to figure out if this is really what the Lord is asking of them. And how many seminaries does the Archdiocese use? Sure. Right now we send to four different seminaries. So John Paul II in Washington. We also send to Mount St. Mary's, St. Mary's in Roland Park, and North American College in Rome. How are the seminaries assigned? We try to have a bit of a, collab a collaborative process. Uh, the seminarians will express an interest in where they would like to go, and then uh, we speak to the archbishop. He ultimately makes the final decision, but we again try to make this process uh, so that everyone is, is pleased with where they're studying. Could you describe the academic and theological formation that, that a person goes through, and then also the pastoral formation? They begin with uh, many courses in philosophy to really help shape their mind to be open to understanding theology, and then they take several courses 
in theology to understand what the church teaches and, and why the church teaches that, but most importantly, to understand it, to be able to articulate it in a very pastoral, a sensitive way, so that people will, they may not always agree with what a priest is saying, but they'll understand why, and, and hopefully by the way that the priest presents this information, it may touch their hearts and their minds that uh, they may consider very much responding in that way. The seminarians also receive a lot of hands-on training in terms of parish life and working in hospitals and things like that? They do. Our seminarians are assigned to many different parishes throughout their summers as seminarians, but also in a very particular way, right between second and third theology, so it's getting toward the end of their formation process. They go into a parish for an entire year, and we call that the pastoral year. And to me, that's really in a sense where, where the rubber hits the road. Um, they've studied an awful lot in seminary, but now they're trying to put that into practice, certainly under the supervision of a pastor. But they really get to, to see what ministry is like over an extended period of time. Uh, the six to eight week summer assignment, it's, that's a great experience and it affords them many opportunities. But this year is really that moment where I think the Archdiocese gets to, to see the seminarian firsthand and, and how he's able to minister to people but it also provides that opportunity for the seminarian to recognize if this really is what they want to commit their life to. How many seminarians do you have in formation now for the Archdiocese? Right now we're very lucky. We have 40 men, and I really could not be prouder of these 40 men. They're very talented, gifted, dedicated guys that are really desirous of, of serving the church. Uh, without a doubt, these are not easy times to step forward to say, I'd like to be a priest, but these men have just been so resolved to serve the church in this way. How would you describe them? Are there any common denominators among the men, or where did they come geographically from the archdiocese or around the country? They typically come from around the archdiocese of Baltimore. We have some international students as well. The common denominator, I would say, is their spirit of generosity. They just, to me, are such remarkable men that are willing to do really anything in order to be formed to be good and holy priests. You mentioned earlier about the importance of prayer in discerning a religious vocation. I know in speaking with seminarians and priests throughout the years, it, it seems like a lot of them talk about the importance of adoration. Is, does that play a role in cultivating a, a vocation? Absolutely. Uh, in this day and age where there are so many voices and so many noises that distract us, it sometimes is so countercultural to say we're going to sit in silence. But it's, I think, that opportune time that we quiet ourselves to very much allow the, vo the voice of the Lord to be heard in a more clear way. And so as in the vocation office, we're trying to implement that in actually all of our vocation events, uh, especially with our high school students. When our high school students travel to Mount St. Mary's or to St. Mary's, we offer a shortened period of time, um, but we bring them into the chapel and they sit in silence before the Blessed Sacrament. And at first there's, I think, a degree of uh, or a lack of comfort, but it's amazing just to see the sense of calmness. For me as a priest to just sit back and I just have incredible confidence that it's in that moment that the Lord is speaking to them with far better words than, than I could ever uh, utilize. And you have an ordination coming up in December, is that right? Yes, what? December 15th, uh, Deacon Robert Catafias will be ordained a priest. And, 
it will be a terrific day to celebrate. Uh, Robert is very excited, and he, he's a very talented man, so we look forward to that very special day in the Archdiocese. And when will that take place? It'll take, to, take place December 15th at 10 a.m. at the Basilica downtown. That'd be great, and, and everyone's welcome to come. Yeah. Absolutely. We're trying to invite uh, everyone throughout the Archdiocese, but in a particular way, the, the parishes where Robert has served, uh, it's a tremendous time for, for them who they've been a part of Robert's formation now to celebrate the, the culmination of that as he's ordained a priest. How can people get more information about the priesthood? They can always contact me at the office. Our number is 410-547-5426, or they can always visit our website at bemorevocations.org. Father Stephen Roth, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Baltimore. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Our guest has been Father Stephen Roth, Vocations Director for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. As a reminder, Robert Catafias will be ordained to the priesthood December 15th at the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary in Baltimore. The liturgy will begin at 10 a.m. He will celebrate a Mass of Thanksgiving at his home parish of St. Jane Francis de Chantal in Pasadena, December 16th at 11.30 a.m. Again, that's December 16th at 11.30 a.m. Both liturgies are open to the public. For Catholic Baltimore, I'm George Matasek. Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator, who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.